Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, February 5th, and that means we're talking consumer goods. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and joining me in the studio via Skype, it's Mr. Asit Sharma. Asit, how's everything going? Awesome, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I was, uh, you know, just just to peel it back a little bit for the listeners here, we were talking a little basketball. Asit, I didn't realize, as a UNC grad, I'm a Wofford grad. We were uh, we were having fun talking about the the last two years, some good games those two teams have played. Uh, so hey, you know, listen, basketball is a fun fun sport to watch. It's always fun to have have good teams. Uh, so hey, listen, we got a big show today. We're going to talk about SiriusXM's big Pandora acquisition. We're going to hit on a couple of earnings reports that we uh, personally are are looking forward to to watching here in the coming weeks. Uh, but first, we're going to jump into what is an upcoming IPO and a tweet we got from a loyal listener, Warren Kiesel. Warren said, "Beyond Meat, this company offers great products and will disrupt the beef industry the way that alternative dairy products are taking a bite out of the dairy industry. Changing consumption habits is, an, is essential in dealing with climate change. Their burgers are pretty damn good, too. Now, Warren, I can't speak to the burgers. I don't think I've ever tried one. But you know what? I do like a lot of what you're saying there. Uh, and and Asset definitely does, too, because we both dug into this S1 uh, to learn more about the company. And uh, it's it's road ahead, the challenges, the opportunities. Asit, I'm going to let you lead this off here. What what uh, what struck you in, in uh, learning more about this company beyond meat? Well, first of all, I um, want to thank Warren for bringing this to our attention. I know um, Warren also tweeted uh, to me that his wife is interested in this um, IPO. I don't mean to draw any conclusions there if, Warren, your wife has healthier eating habits than you do, but I'm sort of excited about this company. Personally, I am vegetarian every Tuesday. I started that many years ago just as a health thing, and it's sort of become habit. And I know my wife and I, um, on Tuesdays, sometimes are looking for inspiration. I have to confess, I haven't tried any of the Beyond Meat products, but after reading through this S1 uh, statement, that's the company's preliminary um, sort of prospectus document, I'm excited to go out and, and try some. The company was started in 2009 by a man named Ethan Brown, who's still the CEO. It sells vegetarian meat substitutes, and these are primarily from protein isolates, yeasts, and other ingredients. And these are sold under the Beyond Chicken, Beyond Beef, and Beyond Sausage brand names. They also have the Beyond Burger, which you'll find in restaurants, and the Beast, which I believe is found at <laughs> ballparks, and I hope the price tag associated with that isn't beastly. Normally, if I get um, something really, really small at a ballpark, I find it's quadruple the price that I pay for it otherwise. Um, <laughs> companies filed for an IPO listing under the symbol BYND, and it's using a placeholder sum in its prospectus for $100 bucks, And that simply means that for now, until those numbers get filled in closer to an IPO, uh, the company expects to raise roughly $100 million. Now, the IPO market has been a little slow this year, and that's partially because of the government shutdown. So, we've had very few issues to price. Not sure when this will price. My guess would be in the next uh, couple of months. 
So with the name Beyond Meat, listeners, you might think that this is a company which is trying to market itself as a leader in vegetarian offerings, but that isn't so. Beyond Meat actually sees itself as a competitor in the $1.5 trillion global uh, $1.5 trillion global meat industry, and they have three um, core plant-based product platforms. These line up with the big three uh, meat categories in the marketplace of beef, pork, and poultry. Now, how does it different than your average um, veggie burger that you see in the freezer section of your grocery store? I'm going to read you this explanation from the company's S1, because it says it a lot more clearly than I could if I tried to summarize it for you. <laughs> We create our plant-based products using proprietary scientific processes that determine the architecture of the animal-based meat we are seeking to replicate, and then we assemble it using plant-derived amino acids, lipids, trace minerals, and water. We are focused on continually improving our products so that, so that they are, to the human sensory system, indistinguishable from their animal-based counterparts. So if you think about this level of taste, um, sensory level of taste, plus aroma, texture, and then enzymatically how your body reacts to the product you're eating. This company is really trying to replicate the whole um, meat experience of a meat serving um, on a both a scientific basis, but also in the human way that we react to that serving. Very impressive. You can find these products in 28,000 distribution points across the U.S. and other countries. Right now, International is a small segment. It's about 3% of sales, but growing. And that's led by this flagship Beyond Burger product, um, which is designed to look, taste, and cook like a traditional burger. Products are in um, many retail uh, grocery stores, including Kroger, A-Hold, Safeway, Safeway, excuse me, Whole Foods, and Wegmans. Um, companies also partnered with uh, big food service hospitality companies like Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, uh, Disney World. And you can find it in um, BurgerFi, TG Fridays, and Carl's Jr. I'll stop there and ask uh, you, Jason, <laughs> did you see the Carl's Jr. commercial that was in the Super Bowl on Sunday? Well, so I had, I had not seen it, but then when you sent me the link and I watched it and I mean, it was clever. It's funny. Um, it, it really, I think, keys in on a lot of the the concerns that people have when they consider um, these types of offerings. And I mean, I, going back to something you were saying, uh, going vegetarian every Tuesday. It's it's funny. You know, I've, I've never been a vegetarian. Never really thought about it a whole lot. And you know, we have kids, and you sort of try new things, and you're you're your routines change. And, and so, my younger daughter said at one point she wanted to try at least uh, going vegetarian to see what it was like. And I thought, hey, you know what? I mean, I, I always encourage my kids to try those things and we'll see how it works. And and I, I love vegetables anyway. So, for me, it was pretty easy to try to just make meals without a focus on meat. Um, you know what really <laughs> took her over the edge, though, Asit, and made her go back to not being a, a, a pure vegetarian was Chick-fil-A. There was there was a point in time where I said, you know what, I think we're going to stop by and maybe grab some Chick Fil A, and I could get her a, a salad. And she said, you know what, I think I'm going to take a break tonight, and I'm going to go with the Chick Fil A. But um, you know, I think I think you make a good point there. Ultimately, in that you don't have to be, you know, a pure vegetarian to benefit from something like this, to enjoy something like this. And and what Beyond Meat I think has done so well to this point 
beyond just the science and, and coming up with a product that apparently um, is is better than I think anything out there, based on what I'm reading and reviews and whatnot, is the branding beyond. I mean, that's something where they're able to basically use it for everything. And, you know, I was looking through that S1 and there's some familiar names on the board here. And I think a lot of our listeners will recognize um, the name Seth Goldman. And Seth is the founder of Honest Tea. And he's been able to take that Honest brand to other parts of that business as well. Um, Also, Biz Stone and Ned Siegel from Twitter are on the board there. So, just uh, interesting to see some of those familiar names on the board. And that's always something I like to look at. But when I look through an S1, I, I look for that number that you cited earlier, that market opportunity. I mean, $1.4 trillion is a large market opportunity. They're not trying to gather all of that, just some of it. Um, and I think that we are in a point in time now where people are focused more on the things that they're eating. They care more about this stuff. And it gives a company like Beyond Meat the opportunity to uh, Go science it up, you know, and come up with some compelling offerings. And it sounds like what they're doing. Uh, and then you look through that S one to find out what they're going to be doing with these funds, the the use of the proceeds. And it's always scary when you see someone say a company say the use of these proceeds are going to be exclusively just to pay down debt for big, you know, big equity partners or whatever. But it looks like in their case, they're really going to be using these proceeds to build out the business, and and that's encouraging. Building out more manufacturing. Uh, research and development. I mean, certainly it can go to paying down some debt, uh, but it sounds like they have some some productive uh, uses earmarked for these funds, and that's a good thing to do so. Uh, yeah, for me, I'd actually like to try the product because that, that would be something uh, to make me feel a bit more compelled as an investment. But generally speaking, I like the trend. I think that it's something that has tailwinds, and uh, it sounds like a company that is helping lead the way and and I really do think having that branding with the beyond uh, is is going to be something that will help them uh, for for many years to come. I would imagine. Yeah, that's some so important that you touch on. Oftentimes, branding makes or breaks a product. You'd have a great product with poor branding, or you can have a, a really awesome product like this, which has, um, as you said, you know, branding, which just you instantly get the concept um, and. This sort of dovetails into the strategy, this whole idea of uh, let's market not necessarily to vegetarians, but to meat eaters. Now, on a more specific level to this um, thrust is how the company presents itself in grocery stores. Basically, they ask their retail grocery partners to put their products in the meat cases right beside those you know, really delicious looking cuts of beef and, and sausage. And... In the um, nine months that ended June 30th of 2018, uh, the S1 says that in Kroger, 93% of Beyond Burger buyers also purchased animal protein products. So that tells you that uh, this product is being purchased by a wide variety of, of eaters, mostly they're non vegetarians. And I think that's, again, goes to the strategy. I also was impressed by the roster of names that the company has, which are supporting um, its advance. This executive chairman, Seth Goldman, uh, to me really stands out because Goldman took Honest Tea from a really small startup uh, into the powerhouse that it is today. And he worked with the venturing and emerging brands, uh, sort of capital venture arm of Coca-Cola, to grow that small brand into something that could generate hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So he's a really wonderful person to have in that chairman seat 
alongside the founder, Ethan Brown, to help guide really rapid growth um, of this company. And I guess that takes me to revenues, because that's always the next question, listeners, that you have, right? What, what do the revenues look like? What, what are, are the, the numbers? numbers? So let me read a couple. I'll toss these out to you, Jason, and um, let you uh, opine on, on what you see here. So the company did $8.8 million on its top line in 2015. That grew to $32.6 million um, by 2017, which represented a 92% compounded annual growth rate. Um, in the first nine months that ended September 29th of 2018, revenues were $56.4 million. Still waiting on end-of-year numbers. Um, and that was a 167% increase from the comparable nine months in 2017. So you see this really tremendous growth rate. As for losses, they're actually um, not as steep as, as I expected. So the company has generated losses every year since inception, but that's to be expected. It's backed for the time being by um, private equity capital uh, going public. So you, listener, may have a chance to be one of these backers who helps it fund losses <laughs> till the point it uh, becomes <laughs> profitable. Um, so losses in 2016, $25.1 million. And in 2017, um, losses were uh, roughly, let's see here, I think, uh, I don't have that number. I, I think it was approximately the same, if I remember correctly. I'll uh, put in a note after the show, but roughly $25 million. In the first nine months of 2018, though, the company, despite that really huge spike in revenue, has only lost $22.4 million. And that's because its gross margin is improving. The company generated sort of negative gross margin in its first couple of years, um, or couple, the most recently reported years. But in the first nine months of 2018, it's actually had a positive gross margin of 17.2% for a dollar gross profit of $9.7 million. And that's important to me. It shows that as the company is scaling that revenue, it will have a positive gross profit sort of getting help to help it get over that hump of fixed uh, expenses and losses. So having thrown those numbers out at you, Jason, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it and you think immediately, well, it's a small company, and that's exciting because uh, those small caps are big opportunities in some cases to, to recognize some, some, some great investing gains early on. I mean, you get into some of those small companies early on, and you can really uh, hang on for long periods of time and, and, and be a part of that growth story. Uh, it you know the food business is tough now. With that said, I mean they are relying on a bit of a different supply chain. Really, I mean this is a this is a science company, and I think that they will be able to do a good job of leveraging that research and development uh, for for years beyond the investments that they make in it. And so that that certainly is is a margin boost at some point. And and given that brand, given the the really the distribution at this point, you listed off a lot of stores where their products are already available, and that really is the key when it comes to food: is getting it out there to the biggest audience possible. And you know, when you're in stores from Kroger to Whole Foods and everywhere in between, I mean, you really are capturing, I think, uh, the the biggest part of the market there. So. I'm going to be interested to see them go public. I'm going to be uh, excited to learn more about the company because I think it's a unique one, and I think that they are doing something that is going to only grow in demand. And, and for me as an investor, that's exciting. And it sounds like they've got some pretty smart minds behind it as well. Yeah, one of those um, 
expenses that will help it uh, sustain its success um, that we should talk about, which is more under the line, so it's not gross margin, but operating expense, is this thing you mentioned, Jason, uh, number of scientists, um, engineers. It's got a whole innovation team that's composed of 40 scientists, yeah. engineers, researchers, technicians, and chefs. <laughs> and so these are these <laughs> people are all in charge of the innovation for the company, which it needs because it's it's got a host of competitors, obviously, with this huge market opportunity and a growing um, awareness among consumers that not only is this good for you, this, this stuff tastes great as well, many players are trying to get into the market. So um, it's important for the company to keep investing in its R&D. Let's talk about the competition. The company competes with uh, Cargill, Hormel, JBS, Tyson Foods, WH Group, with, which you may not know, but they own the Smithfield Foods um, Group. And they also compete with a host of smaller companies which are already on the grocery shelves, um, not as these huge manufacturers, but as well-known labels such as Boca Foods, uh, Field Roast Grain Meat Company, Impossible Foods, which is another science-based, uh, plant-based uh, manufacturer, Light Life, Morningstar Farms, and Tofurky, which I always thought was just a thing, but <laughs> it's actually a brand. It, I, I mean, it's crazy. Yep. Um, so this is something that Prospective investors need to be aware of that while the market opportunity, yes, is big, and um, Beyond Meat has made a number of important partnerships already, both on the retail grocery side and, as I say, with food service and restaurants, it's a, an extremely competitive market. And I want to return to one more risk that um, Jason mentioned, which is the supply chain. So, at the outset, we talked about sort of the main focus of this plant-based replication of meat, which Beyond Meat uses, and that's pea protein. As of today, it has a single supplier for this all-important ingredient that's found in, in almost all of its products. So, 80% of pea protein comes from a single supplier. And in the coming years, Beyond Meat is going to really have to diversify that supply chain out, work with some other vendors, because they're at risk if the company can't produce um, or has you know any kind of production issues, bottlenecks, etc. That's going to hurt growth going forward. So this is a young company that is um, you know they're going to be subject to some possible growing pains even after going public in a few years. And this is one risk that I see that's that's sort of important. Uh, thought, thoughts on that, Jason? I, I mean, that is no question. I, that's a red flag that that goes up immediately. Pretty much any business when you have a very limited supply chain. Um, you need to take that in consideration because you are essentially saying that your success is not really fully dependent on how you execute. Uh, you are putting uh, part of your fate into someone else's hands, and the incentives might not necessarily align. So, uh, yeah, they will be they will be very wise to diversify that supply chain as as quickly as possible, in my opinion. Cool. If I can work in one last risk, um, and then we can move on, and that's probably another sort of implicit question listeners have. Well, what about the cash burn? Because I talked about losses, talked about uh, fast-growing yeah. revenue. Mm -hmm. um, we see that right now, um, Beyond Meat is a net user of cash. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when you generate enough cash to cover your operating expenses, you produce operating cash flow. When you need to borrow money uh, or have investment capital to sort of supply those operating expenses when you're in the young phase. Um, and 
you have a great product that needs to scale, then you're a user of cash. So uh, you can just think of this as cash burn. Company has um, in the last two years negative cash flow of 23.5 million in 2016 and 25.3 million in 2017. That's operating cash, and it's burned through about 24.4 million of operating cash in the first nine months of 2018. I'm not as concerned with that uh, for now because the company has positive working capital of about 40 million, and it's going to raise funds with this IPO. And management says that uh, between what it can produce in operations, even though that's getting fully consumed, uh, plus what it will raise, that portion that's not going to be allocated uh, towards manufacturing investment, et cetera, it thinks it's got enough uh, in the kitty to last about 12 months which should be enough time for it to, again, scale some more of its revenue. Um, also, it can issue debt, as we see many young companies do, yep. or maybe a follow-on offering. Jason, you looked at these financials, too. How does that cash burn look to you? I, well, I mean, it clearly is something that has to change over time. I mean, I think you made an important point there with a the positive uh, networking capital. And for listeners, just to remember, that's basically just more assets than liabilities. And that just puts the company in a good position because they have options. And I think that with a company like this at its young stage, to have those options in regard to capital uh, demands, I mean, that's really all you can ask. Then it boils down to executing um, and and coming up with products that people want. And it appears that they have uh, developed a nice portfolio of products that people want. So I suspect that the the cash burn uh, situation won't be a problem for very long. So um, I guess my. Uh sort of final thoughts on this before we move on is I, I like what I see and uh, we often talk about on this show when we when we discuss IPOs should you jump in just now maybe get in on the IPO buy it shortly <laughs> after wait a few quarters uh, I'm sort of excited by this I, I still I think I'm going to advise listeners what I usually do is is to wait a quarter or two there's rarely the opportunity where you, you just must get in and hang on um, but this looks yeah. compelling to me. I'm really curious, Jason. I've followed your analysis for a while. I know you've got really a great um, handle on looking at a market opportunity and then looking at the management comp- of a company plus its financials and, and sort of getting a take on, is this worth your time to follow or your money to invest in? I was curious, like given everything we've uh, gone over today, how do you feel about this as an investment? Pending it goes public in the next month or two. I mean, it strikes me as one I'd be potentially interested in. I mean, it has the big market opportunity. It sounds like they have uh, smart leaders. It sounds like they have proprietary technology, essentially, that is helping them make their products. And it sounds like they're in a market with tailwinds. I think this is a market that is going to continue to grow. And I think it will uh, be something that can can really extend globally. I mean, this is this is beyond just a domestic market as well. I mean, it can be a global company. We've seen the success that Honest Tea had, really, ultimately, until uh, you know they became a part of the Coca-Cola family. I don't remember when that happened. Uh, I think that was probably a pretty shrewd move by Coca-Cola, in all honesty. Uh, so I think it's neat to see that. Uh, I think it's neat to see that uh, that the uh, that these guys are going to have the opportunity to go public. Uh, before perhaps being acquired. Uh, I'm like you. I want to see a quarter or two of, of some results. I want to understand how management is uh, framing the the story, how they're reporting, the metrics that matter and whatnot. 
Uh, but but definitely one I'm going to be keeping my eye on it as it uh, as it makes its way to the public markets. Yeah, I'm going to put this on my radar screen for sure and uh, take a look. I love to look at those first quarter uh, results, the first quarter after companies gone public, because many times you see a company's like putting its best face forward to get public, and mm-hmm. afterwards is it a sigh of relief and now we really need uh, cash or we're we're proving out the investment thesis and and the numbers we're showing you today 3 months later uh correlate with the projections that we made in that really nice carefully prepared document so i really love you know getting my rolling up my sleeves and getting my hands into that first statement encourage listeners to do the same well it sounds like one we'll revisit so warren thanks uh for the question i hope we were able to provide you with some uh helpful information there and of course, always reach out if we can help any further. Uh, let's talk about something a little bit less science-related and a bit more entertainment-related. We've talked about this before, uh, SiriusXM, and we know that there was a big acquisition uh, they were making with Pandora, and it sounds like that acquisition has indeed gone through. Uh, what you know, this was a deal where I think a lot of people were trying to make full sense of why they were doing this. And as a you know, I'm a SiriusXM subscriber. Uh, and, and I had to think about it a little bit and, and understand a bit more of what management was was thinking about doing with this deal. But what uh, you know, what what strikes you with this deal? You think this is a good deal, or you think this is uh, something that SiriusXM is probably wasting their time with? Any any thoughts there? Yeah, not to throw a pun out there, but my first thought was like yours: Are you serious <laughs> when they announced this? But it it's it's growing on me. I think this is a deal with potential. You get a much bigger subscriber base because now the combined company has over 100 million subscribers, 40 million of those are paying, and 70 million plus are, are trial based. So both companies every year have a number of people that just have trials and, and fall off, and then they market and, and replenish those trials. But you know, the CEO, James Meyer, talked about in the recent conference call sort of the opportunity here, which if, if I can start with the, the worst thing about Pandora, the, the opportunity in Pandora is to stem this decline of users which are dropping off and actually usage which is also declining. So, yeah. losing users and people are listening less frequently. Sirius has a lot of expertise in this. It's actually a pretty decent company when it comes to uh, keeping its users, subscribers engaged, um, throwing new stuff at them so that they will remain loyal. So, I think they see an opportunity to fix what's wrong with Pandora. And then, uh, of course, what they mentioned is these opportunities for cross-promotion. So, yeah, I'll just read listeners uh, what they're up to starting this month. Uh, targeted promotions are going to hit select Pandora listeners. They'll get an offer of a mostly news package for $5 a month in their satellite-equipped vehicle, while Sirius XM subscribers will receive a 14-day trial of Pandora Premium. So, that makes sense. And I think the other thing that was mentioned on the most recent call, which intrigued me, was this ability to analyze and utilize the, the tremendous amount of data that there is in Pandora. Again, Sirius yeah. has been the more profitable company, the more stable company, um, Jason, you follow them, and, and I think you're a proponent of the way they operate. If they can bring some of that discipline to this smaller company, extract the data, see what's going on, expand the subscriber base, fix the financials, it probably will be a good deal. I, mean, I don't see the 
to be honest, the, the most transparent path to that happening, but I do see the potential. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, it's one where I'm kind of, the, the deal is growing on me, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a Pandora user. I've been a, a very happy XM subscriber for some time now. I mean, I admit my uh, guilty pleasure is I'm a big Howard Stern fan. And so for me, that's just a, a, a way to get a laugh on the way to work in the mornings. And it's, it's, uh, you know, the neat thing with Sirius, they've built out a very strong app as well on the phone. So you can, you can listen to Sirius in the car and out of the car, uh, which is, that's what kind of made me think, hmm, you know, do they really need Pandora? But ultimately what this was, it was just buying the audience, right? I mean, they're buying a big chunk of listeners that they probably didn't have otherwise. And they're going to be able to open these listeners up to the potential that's something like a Sirius XM has. And the neat thing about this is that they're looking at this base of vehicles. Over the next decade, there are going to be 200 million cars on the road here domestically that have that satellite capability already built into the car. So the radio is actually just going to be able to access Sirius XM at the touch of a button. And they're thinking, well, hey, why don't we at least open up some opportunities for people to subscribe to something perhaps that they want to listen to? Maybe they don't want the full package. But maybe they'd like a talk package or a news package. And, I mean, we're getting ready to start up a pretty hectic political season here, it sounds like. A lot of people out there probably want to get access to the news stations or the talk stations that, that you know, favor their, their political views and, and uh, keep up to date there. So I think it is a great opportunity to slice and dice all of the offerings that SiriusXM has uh, to be able to, to offer just catered packages to audiences that want a particular offering and and uh and I get that and and I think this was really an all stock deal right so at the end of the day I mean in in theory I mean I understand an all stock deal you're issuing more shares there is a cost there but it's not like they're writing some big check off their balance sheet really the investors in Sirius XM are the ones footing the bill for this deal because they're the ones feeling their shares get diluted by all of these new shares to fund this deal Probably not a bad move by Sirius Management's uh, stands there either. So, you know, I get why they did it. I don't know that it makes me feel all that much better about Sirius as a company. I think Sirius has executed pretty well. I think Howard has bought them a lot of time to be able to grow out a strong business so that Sirius XM can exist uh, when when Howard decides to hang things up. Uh, but but yeah, just just it was a deal. I had I had to think about it for a while to really kind of come around to actually being okay with it. Yeah, I think. Um you know, what you mentioned is so important about uh, this audience buying, because if you look at it over the long term, there's two ways to grow your prime metrics. You can grow the time people are using your uh, content device and your subscription service and then sell them on more services. You can also expand that audience. So why not buy it now, as you said, without a true cost um, except for this dilution issue, their leverage remains the same. And you know, for listeners who are curious, I think that SiriusXM's um, current leverage ratio is about 3.5 times. And without going into a lot of detail, let's just call that moderate leverage. So not a huge amount of debt yeah. on their books. I like that. And one thing that you have to realize about SiriusXM is they're really savvy in controlling the cost to acquire uh, subscribers in general. And this relationship that any content subscription company has between marketing expenses and the cost to acquire subscribers, they're already really good at that and have been able to, uh, of course, with, with Howard Stern's help, you make a great point 
when you have that kind of impetus behind your top line, everything else becomes easier. <laughs> but they, they've shown a really good um, discipline at controlling the costs that lead to profitability uh, for subscription service. And I think that's something that, yes, we've seen Pandora's stock turn around in, in recent years, but um, never really came back, I believe, to pre-IPO levels because they did not yeah. have uh, you know, the same kind of economic structure. So, that's another reason why um, you know, this deal appeals to me. One last thought from my side, I just want to read listeners something from uh, Sirius's uh, conference call last week. Again, this is CEO James Meyer. He thinks the biggest uh, single problem with Pandora is the listening hours. He says, but the one flashing light that you've got to worry about is the decline in listening hours. And we are very focused on that. We believe, we believe, his repeating, not mine, we believe, <laughs> deep into our gut, that metric is fixable. So, there you have it. Um, you know, to extrapolate that to what a publicly traded company looks at, in there, there's an economic proposition. And, and they see that by having more compelling content offerings, you know, Pandora is a streaming music service, but they've launched podcasts. I think, again, this is one of Sirius's talents and, and management sees that if they can make it a place where people want to return to, uh, they will be able to up the revenue at an effective cost and it's going to eventually hit their bottom line. Well, before we continue, we want to thank LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success in the new year, but where do you find that person? That's why when it comes to posting your job, go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. I'm talking about LinkedIn. I was just on LinkedIn earlier today, I said. I mean, it's just every once in a while, you got to go check it out and see what, what, what's new. But most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. That's a phenomenal statistic. I can't, uh, I just, that's amazing. Every eight seconds. Find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Um, okay, Asit, let's uh, take a quick look here. We're running out of time, but I want to jump into some earnings season stuff here. We've got earnings coming up. There were big earnings today in Alphabet. Uh, we're not going to cover those here, but make sure to check out today's market foolery for the straight dope on what investors need to know. Big focus on YouTube there. And speaking of YouTube, we've got to save the date for you here. This Thursday, February 7th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are going to be doing a market wrap show live on YouTube. Andy Cross, myself, Chris Hill, we will be talking stocks after the closing bell and taking your questions. So then I know your, your first question, Asset, is how do I find this show? I'm going to tell you. You go to our Motley Fool YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash the Motley Fool. So go there, subscribe. We'll see you Thursday. February 7th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to check it out. Hey, we're just going to you know try something new here and see what you guys think. Uh, okay, talking about earnings season, uh, want to get a couple of thoughts here on what you're looking for from a couple of the companies that we like to follow. First up is going to be Dunkin'. Uh, Dunkin' Brands Earnings Star, they're going to drop Thursday morning, uh, February 7th. 
And what is uh, what, what are you going to be watching here uh, for in, in Duncan's earnings? So uh, for me, Jason, uh, Duncan is a really big picture thing. Uh, they're going to report on their fourth quarter. Um, everyone is looking at what the comps, comparable sales will be. Uh, company wants to finish out with a 1% growth in comps for the year. I think they'll hit that. What I'm looking for is what's the new comps number. Duncan has had a few major initiatives in the past year. They um, streamlined their menu, took a lot of the yeah. complexity out of it. They introduced their, their own uh, version of McDonald's 2 for 5. So, they have a whole 2 for platform, limited time offering that's been extremely successful and it's actually helped uh, move beverages. So, I think between these two uh, big components and the new espresso rollout, which they had uh, at the end of last year, I think it's time to be more ambitious. And I think you know the stock has had a really great run. Um, I believe investors are looking for some growth on that comps number. For me, even if they set 2%, 2 to 3 to 4% for the year, I think that'll be a great goal. Um, company has done a really good job of steadily, uh, slowly but steadily expanding westward. So we'll look to see how the new uh, projections for restaurant openings come up. Um, if you follow Duncan, you also know that its Baskin Robbins brand uh, has done okay yeah. in the last year. So I'm looking for maybe a little bit more color on that. But for me, I think it boils down to what does the new comps number look like, and is it is it going to be finally a growth number that you can hang a hat on. Yeah, and I think you know you keyed it on something there in, in streamlining that menu. There really is a lot to be said for that. It makes it easier to manage that inventory. Makes it easier to order when you go in there as a consumer. Um, and, and they've also done a really a good job of embracing their mobile existence. I mean, I think that's something that will continue to to shine through uh, for, for that business. And when you look at the size of the coffee industry, the size of the restaurant industry in the United States, and you see that Dunkin' is really still a relatively small company in that space. Uh, yeah, a lot of growth opportunities there, and uh, investors you know, have every right to, to be at least a little bit excited there. Uh, now, the following week, on Tuesday, February 12th, after the market closes, TripAdvisor's earnings are going to come out. They'll have a call the following morning. Uh, this is a company you and I both follow. It seems like their turnaround is starting to take a little bit of hold here, but what are you going to be watching? I'm going to be looking for basically the hotel revenue. Um, hotel revenue has slowed in the past few years, while non-hotel non revenue has really been uh, spectacular, growing very quickly. You know, TripAdvisor for a long time, Jason, um, it was like your Wofford Terriers, right? They were sh <laughs> they were shooting threes and they couldn't miss. I hate to say that you guys came into our house at, at Carolina last year and, and really. Um, Whomped us. It was a great game. I think we we got revenge, but you did, you did. But um, yeah, TripAdvisor, you know, then hit a rough patch. Stock gained fifty six percent last year. That's the inflection point that Jason mentions. So for me, uh, trends look good in the non hotel revenues, but let's see a little bit uh, more growth on the hotel side because that hotel side is still two and a half times bigger in relation to the top line. Um, I will say that management has been emphasizing lately its uh, growth in EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and sort of pointing to say, look, even if we don't grow this whole pie as quickly, we're getting more profitable as time goes on. I am a follower of companies like Marriott, uh, which are customers of the online travel agencies. And the one wrinkle that I'm a bit concerned for TripAdvisor is you know over the last year Marriott and its competitors they want more direct business so they want 
their loyalty customers coming through their own apps and bypassing companies like TripAdvisor because that's a more profitable sale for a huge company like Marriott. So this interplay between direct versus indirect business for the hotels will bear on TripAdvisor's ability to have that hotel revenue start accelerating again. But I'm somewhat optimistic they did a great job last year of, of getting uh, their their financial picture back on track. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was a bad bet, the instant booking one that they made. Uh, clearly, it just wasn't something that, that worked out as they hoped it would. But through all of it, the thing that I, you know leaves me encouraged with TripAdvisor and why I never actually sold my shares is is because the platform itself is still as engaging as ever. Those metrics are still as strong as ever. They're adding more users with more reviews, people spending more time on the site. So there's clearly a value proposition there that travelers are recognizing. And to your point about hotel revenue, if they just get back to the days of yore, well, they've got this experience side of the business, I think, that has a lot of a, a lot of potential. And, and I think it's a bit more complimentary, in all honesty, to the platform to begin with. Um, and I mean, just as an example, when we went to Hawaii, we used TripAdvisor. I used TripAdvisor exclusively to find things to do. When we went to the Bahamas, same thing. Uh, we're going to Costa Rica this summer for the kids' uh, vacation, and and it's already starting going through TripAdvisor to find the things to do. So uh, it, it's extremely complimentary. I think that experience is out of the business. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, but through all of it, the platform has remained very engaging, and, and I think that's something that uh, they'll they'll continue to benefit from for for some time to to come. So yeah, definitely a rough patch. Some strategic plunders there, but but maybe maybe they're coming out of the uh, the other side of the storm in in, uh, in good shape. Yeah. Uh, last thing that I'll uh, put in about TripAdvisor, if you do uh, really a search, if if you're not like Jason and you're not going directly to TripAdvisor, if you put in a search for your vacation destination, this experience is, and really the whole TripAdvisor platform is so sticky uh, online that it's going to come up in the top search results. So myself, while I don't use TripAdvisor natively to search for uh, the things I'll do on my vacation, I'm going to the site because it's coming up in the search <laughs> results. So I'm on there anywhere, and I think that speaks to the value of this asset that they have. That they've been able to grow this incredible trove of content that really can can help you have the best experience on your vacation. It's, it's their edge and. And I really agree with that that thought. Absolutely. Well, it's always great to talk with you, my friend. Have a great rest of the week. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Take care. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Asit Sharma, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.